We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're going to talk all things running backs here on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. We got injury news, contract discussions, strategies, all that and more coming up next here on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by our good friends at Circa, uh, as well as Fantrax and Reality Sports Online. Jeff Erickson here with Nick Whalen for the next hour ish, and we're going to talk all things running backs today. Here, uh, you know, there's been such a discussion based on the the value of running backs, both in you know, real life and uh, the contract situations, also in the fantasy market. Nick, uh, how are you doing? First of all. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right, Jeff. Uh, as you know, my my summer and my my mental health uh, largely kind of revolve around how my golf game is doing. Yes. And uh, we, we had some up and down rounds this weekend. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, okay. my, I would describe my my short game right now as uh, Ben Simmons esque. So oh, no. you know, kind of trying to trying to pick myself up off the mat. You know, went, went to the range yesterday, but uh, you know, it's kind of taking everything I got right now to uh, to, to gut it out through this podcast. I mean, all, all I can think about is. Uh, some of the troubles I had on the course, but very much looking forward uh, to diving in on the running backs. We have a, a bunch of running back news. We'll talk about some strategies, uh, some injuries, unfortunately, over the weekend as well. Uh, so let's get right to it. All right. Sorry about uh, Sorry about that. Um, so. Let's let's hope that you don't have the dropsies or Mackie Sasser from baseball or anything like that as we go through this. But uh, <laughs> let's let's jump through this here. We already had some really bad news out of Buffalo, um, and we're gonna hit like running back news first. Uh, Naeem Hines has uh, needs season-ending surgery. Uh, got uh, he got uh, struck by another. It wasn't in camp though. However, um, no, it, was not. it was a jet ski injury. Um, so can't blame uh, like the 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 rough part of the nature of the business, the nature of the game, the nature of the position on this one. He was a rider on a jet, jet ski was stationary and got drilled. Just awful, awful way to lose your season there. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's like a, a pup jet ski list that he's going to end up landing on here, but yeah, I mean, just a brutal, brutal break uh, for the Buffalo bills. Like you said, sounds like he was just kind of out with some friends and, you know, by all accounts was not necessarily doing anything reckless, just got, 
uh, kind of sideswiped and uh, you know, we're still kind of getting some details on exactly what he's dealing with injury wise, but it sounds like the knee is the biggest concern. Um, you know, obviously the, the, the silver lining here is, you know, not life-threatening, something like that. It could obviously have gone worse, but uh, you know, the fact that they pretty much came out and said right away, yeah, he's done for the season uh, obviously implies that this is a pretty serious injury. So ultimately, you know, you got James Cook, you got Damian Harris, Latavius Murray, in that backfield, you know, Naheem Hines, kind of more of a gadgety special teams guy, uh, but made a huge impact on special teams after coming over midseason uh, towards the end of last year for Buffalo. So, yeah. you know, does this necessarily affect, you know, how you're drafting James Cook or Damian Harris? No, it doesn't. Not at all. Does it really affect the trajectory of the Bills season? Not necessarily, but, uh, you know, not, not the way that you, you want to start training camp off, certainly losing uh, a dynamic special teams player like Hines. I think it probably it maybe gives a minutia of a upgrade to James Cook in the passing game. Like I, I okay. think he might get a couple extra targets. Hines often was considered a third down back, sometimes improperly, um, but he, he occasionally was in there. And so that those are few. But you know they'll they'll probably add another back now. Um, is is my guess too. Mm-hmm. You know another pass ca- uh, pass catching back or someone that's capable of returning kicks. Obviously, Heinz's biggest impact was the two kick returns in one game. Um, yep. That that was pretty amazing. Um, decent news coming out of uh, Denver. Javante Williams is not going to go on the pup list to start the year. You know, and the funny thing is, I kind of thought of the guys that were coming back from injuries, Brees Hall, Dobbins, although Dobbins mm-hmm. was actually playing at the end, um, that he was less of a risk. I mean, I think that Williams was less likely to be ready to go uh, and, and ready for the start of the season. And instead, he avoided the he avoided the uh, pup list there. Pretty good stuff there. Yeah, this is a really great inclination. Uh, if you're a Javante Williams believer, I was with you. I, I think of all the players that you mentioned, you know, there's kind of a handful of guys who uh, are, are coming back from similar injuries. You know, Brees Hall suffered his injury uh, a little bit later, but you know, roughly around the same time in the season. And we've kind of been comparing those two recovery paths. I was much more concerned about Javante Williams, and I think a big part of that was you know, in the middle of the off season, we were getting these reports, you know, back in like March that, man, this was, you know, this is not just your normal ACL tear. It's like, you know, multiple ligaments were affected. Like it, this could be one where, you know, there was talk that maybe he doesn't look like himself or is back at, at full capacity until 2024. So maybe those reports were, were just a little bit overzealous, a little bit overly negative. I think the fact that he is not landing out the pup list is about as positive of an indication as we could get at this point. With that said, and I'm sure we'll get into this later in the show, I, I'm still... I'm still approaching Javante Williams with caution here. Um, sure. I mean, this is a, a very serious injury for a guy who you know we didn't have uh, much of a sample of before that injury. You kind of want to see it. Uh, again, avoiding the pup list is huge, but uh, it's going to be key, I think, to, to get those reports over the next few weeks as to like how he actually looks on the ground in training camp. RB 26 since July 1st in the NFFC. Uh, pick That's roughly around pick 69. So we're talking uh, in a 12-teamer, you're talking around six. Um, I'm okay. I, I, I and I know uh, Alan Soslowski will yell at me for this, but I'm kind of okay with that price. Uh, I, I might be a little lower than that, but I'm okay with it too. You know, if it, if like if there's an epic run among uh, running backs and I'm 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 in need of one, I'm willing to go that way. I mean, the upside is there, right? There's no question about that. It's not like we're talking about somebody who, you know, is just like an average back when healthy. I mean, I think there's reason to believe that if he does look like himself, like this could be a major hit. I think you could kind of lump this into the general progression of this Denver offense. You know, I think a lot of it hinges on Russell Wilson. We talk about the passing game and getting him back on track, but it's all tied in together, right? I mean, if Denver just looks like a more confident offense, um, you know, it starts with the passing game, but it's going to trickle down 
to that running game as well. So, yeah, I mean, the price to me, it's a little bit higher in NFFC. You know, he's going, he's going closer to pick like 85 to 90 in best balls, which is mm-hmm. a little surprising just because, you know, I feel like you get uh, a little bit more variance there, people willing to take risks. Obviously, it's lower stakes uh, than most of the NFFC drafts. But, uh, you know, this puts him in the same range as, you know, guys like Rashad White, James Conner, Isaiah Pacheco, David Montgomery. And when you phrase it that way, I think that seems about right, given the risk profile. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll watch to see how he actually does in practice, whether it's just kind of an in-name only sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not quibbling about the upside here. I tend to, and you know, everybody who's listened to this pod or listened to our show knows, and I, I tend to be more conservative. I avoid players, uh, you know, coming off of a major injury, and if I'm a year late on them. I'll buy back in, you know, in 2024, but sure. uh, not going to fault you for taking Javante Williams at pick 75. You know, I mean, yeah, his min pick is sure. 36. I, I'm not taking him there. Do not take him at pick 36. Uh, but if you can get him, you know, in the sixth, seventh round, go for it. Yeah, I think so. I think that that's, that's the right construction. Okay. Help me sort out the Baltimore Ravens backfield here. You got JK Dobbins. Who's on the pup list again. Uh, and you, you've got them signing Melvin Gordon. I did not see either of these things coming. <laughs> Well, I, I think I'm like inherently loyal to Melvin Gordon, uh, given given my ties to, to to his university. Yeah, so I you know I, I'm always rooting for the best for Melvin Gordon. You know, it's funny you know, of all the running backs that Wisconsin had you know over the last decade, it's like he was he was the guy to me that was like the most visually impressive. You know, obviously Jonathan Taylor uh, has probably had the better pro career, at least the better pro peak. But uh, there's there's always something that's going to keep me you know coming back to Melvin Gordon just because of, of how unique of a talent he is and. Uh, I, I like the addition for Baltimore because, you know, obviously it provides some insurance behind J.K. Dobbins, who honestly, man, it, it feels like we're kind of going down that same road as last year, where it's going to be week to week. And even when he's active, you're like, ah, it doesn't quite look the same. The breakaway speed wasn't really there at times last year. Um, and, you know, the fact that they felt like they needed to go and add someone like Melvin Gordon, I think, lends credence to the belief that, you know, maybe they're a little bit concerned about where uh, what, what we believe, I, I guess, to be a knee injury. I mean, they're, they're kind of saying undisclosed. My guess is it's still uh, that lingering knee from last year. But right. uh, I, I think it was a good pickup just because, you know, it was status quo in this backfield, right? I mean, other than that, it was we were going to be running it back with Gus Edwards and Justice Hill again. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and I think that's maybe the reason why is this because they needed, you know, one more option there. And maybe just in yep. case Gus Edwards doesn't look good or Justice Hill doesn't look good or, you know, Dobbins takes longer to get up to full speed. Uh, I You know, I kind of was big on Dobbins like in June. Uh, and then like the OTA minicamp stuff st- started happening and I'm like, oh, okay, not, not anymore. Um, there's plenty of other fish in the sea. Uh, James Robinson signing with the giants. Uh, this is related obviously to Saquon. Uh, just they need another back in camp. Well, I think it's related at least. Uh, are, are you, like, if Saquon misses time and we're going to talk about that, well, let's just rip that bandaid off. Talk about the giants as a whole. Uh, sure. If Saquon misses time, which back are you interested in, if any? Matt Breida, James Robinson, anybody else? I know you. Do you have any latent loyalty to James Robinson as a former Jag? Uh, I, people forget how great James Robinson was for a couple games early on last season before they yeah. kind of flipped the switch over to Travis Etienne, and um, you know he. It, you know, obviously they, they moved on uh, from James Robinson and he never really got a chance after that. But I, I, I mean, I've, I've been a fan. Uh, part of it was he was kind of this just undiscovered gem who ended up, you know, producing a lot more than anybody expected in Jacksonville. But uh, you know, you rattled off the other names of this backfield. It, it's, it's pretty bleak, right? I mean, Matt Breida is one of those guys who went healthy has shown flashes, but never seems to be healthy. Other than that, you know, it's Eric Gray. I, I 
truly no idea who that is. Gary Brightwell. Uh, you know, it sounds like a guy like from the eighties, who's just kind of stuck on this roster. So they were another team, you know, I think much like Baltimore that it makes sense, you know, to, to add some, some insurance behind Saquon Barkley. Now I, you know, if you, if you said, you know, gun to your head, do you think Saquon Barkley sits out week one? I, I still think, no, you know, you could kind of read uh, and parse his, his comments. You know, he's on a podcast last week saying, you know, am I prepared to do that? I don't know if I am. And uh, I, right. I, I think, you know, the Le'Veon Bell situation, I, I think serves as a, a cautionary tale here because that went so, so poorly. Um, and, and Saquon Barkley, you know, he's, he's making number one or number two overall pick money on that first contract, but uh, he, you know, you still want that second contract if you're a running back. And I, I don't think he wants to uh, end up forfeiting, you know, what could be 10 plus million dollars if he were to sit out the season. So I, I still think that's unlikely, but I'm not going to fault the Giants here for adding some depth. I mean, you, you have to be prepared for the possibility if you're the Giants. They knew that that was going to be a possibility when they didn't beat Saquon, you know, on his contract demands. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, you know, it's funny the the Saquon quotes were completely like, I wouldn't say taken out of context. I think they were truncated. Because, uh, yes. you know, because he said, like, you know, he, he discussed, like, well, maybe I'll have to do this, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I can do that. You know, guys know, guys know I don't want to do that. Um, I think was the real, it was the, the, uh, the, the real line there too. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm definitely doing that. You know, it's just like, it's gotta right. be an option. Uh, as far as Eric Gray goes, thanks to, uh, you know, thanks to, uh, Rolo Tomasi for, uh, mentioning that he was a uh, running back out of Oklahoma, good pass catching back, uh, five ten two Oh seven, not super fast. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, one of those guys was a late bloomer, uh, didn't start until senior yep. year, but he was always involved. Um, you know, you look at some of the, uh, you know, in his last year, though, he did have 33 catches, 229 receiving yards. Uh, you know, I, I I, think he's someone that could jump in a little bit there. Sometimes co- collegiate targets don't translate to the NFL. I'm looking at you. Um, I, I'm looking at a couple of different people, but I'm looking uh, in, in direction of uh, in Carolina right now um, mm-hmm. just because – God, my brain is just not firing at all cylinders right now. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm looking in the direction of Miles Sanders, who was a great pass catching back in college, yep. not so great in the pros. Yeah, I mean, his rookie year with Philly, 50 catches, over 500 yards, three touchdowns. Like, okay, you know, here, here's what we here's what we kind of saw during his final year mm-hmm. at Penn State. I think that made people so intrigued about that. And, and yeah, it, it was kind of a slow drop off. Uh, obviously ended up sharing the workload, missed some time. Uh, in his second and third year that that contributed to that. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if, if we want to talk Carolina here, I I've kind of started to talk myself into Miles Sanders a, a little bit more. I, I you know, kind of found myself taking him in a lot of best ball drafts. You know, he's going around pick 60. I, I usually don't love the options in that range. I mean, it, it's JK Dobbins and then Miles Sanders in terms of running back ADP. You got Alexander Madison, you got Cam Akers in that range as well. Uh, and then you're getting into like DeAndre Swift, Damian Pierce. Uh, to me, he's the guy that, you, know, you can quibble about like what's the ultimate upside here, like you know, talent-wise. You know, maybe he's like a you know a tier or two lower than than some of the elite guys. But I, I, to, he's the pretty clear number one to me in Carolina. Whereas some of those other names, you know, you, you have more more competition. You have more questions right. about injuries. I mean, behind behind Miles Sanders, it's Chuba Hubbard who's had you know multiple opportunities over the last couple of years, uh, given injuries to McCaffrey. Obviously, the trade last year to uh, you know really make an impact and try to grab that job, and he's he's just never been able to do that. Uh, and then after that, you know, you, you got Raheem Blackshear, Spencer Brown, you know, guys who are uh, you know, potentially going to struggle to even make this roster beyond that. So uh, and let's you know, not forget LaVisca Chenault taking all the jet sweeps, too, though. 
Well, that's the thing, right? You know, right. I, I mean, the touchdown hog, Lavisca Chenault. Um, you know, you kind of worry about him vulturing all the touchdowns in that offense. Um, let me let me just ask you about Carolina at large here. I mean, I know this is a, a running back focused podcast, and we'll we'll keep it to that. But uh, you know, in, in terms of like productivity for this offense, you know, I, I do feel like you know the Adam Thielen addition. It's like, eh, all right, he's a name, but I, I don't really love that. You know, the the rest of this receiving core post DJ Moore is pretty underwhelming. You know, it's Hayden Hurst at tight end, but uh, you know, in, in terms of like how many points this offense could score? I guess, do you, do you view this as a, a bona fide like bottom 10 offense or is there a chance here that, that they could surprise us in year one under Bryce Young? Well, new head coach. I mean, that that's part of the, the equation right. there too. New coordinator, all that. Uh, I mean, I feel like the names don't excite me. Uh, no. I, I think it, a lot of it depends on how quickly Bryce Young acclimates. You know, they say he's going to start right away, but Andy Dalton's there. I mean, it's, they have a veteran if Young is really looking yeah. over match. So uh, unlike some teams that are kind of going without a safety net, you know, they they actually have a safety net there. Right. But an Andy Dalton-led offense is, by definition, like a 25th-ranked offense, right? I mean, right. It, it's no offense. I loved I loved him in the Bengals. He, he had his peak. He's past his peak. Uh, Adam Thielen, DJ Chark, Terrace Marshall, Jonathan Mingo. I mean, you could see it. I mean, there, it wasn't that long ago that we were high on DJ Chark, you know, and, and you know, Terrace Marshall still has his uh, advocates mm-hmm. self kind of included. I, I've still got him on a dynasty team. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't really know how wide open it's going to be though. Like what sort of uh, volume are you going to have? Right. I mean, you're in a division where you get to face the bucks, the saints and the Falcons saints actually probably have a decent enough defense. The Falcons, I don't think, I don't think is really that scary of a defense. Uh, Panthers have the best defense in the division. Yes. Uh, well, that's the thing. They're, they're in an interesting spot here because you, you have a rookie quarterback. So your first inclination is, okay, we're in the early stages of a rebuild. It's a rookie quarterback. You know, all, all that really matters is he looks okay. But, uh, you know, this is not Houston or Indianapolis or, you know, some of the other kind of bad situations that right. number one picks have, have gone into, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a fantastic supporting cast, but this was a seven-win team last year. Like, I, I think you could say on paper, Carolina – arguably has the best defense in this division. I mean, they won seven games with Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and PJ Walker at right. quarterback last season. So I, I, I'm not saying they're going to push all the chips in and, and like, you know, gun for gun for a wild card spot here, but uh, they're, they're kind of at an interesting spot here where if Bryce Young even plays like, okay, I mean, they'll very much be in the mix for the postseason in that division. Yep. That's true. That's true. And I don't think you're going to see Frank Reich go all Matt rule on us here and say, we need 40 carries a game. Uh, no. Sanders is not that kind of back anyhow. Um, right. I, I don't think they really want that. So, yeah, I, I, I think it could be interesting. I, I, I see like upside of maybe 15 off offense there. I don't see it much higher than that, but yeah, you'd be wrong. Brees Hall starting the year on the pup list, but also uh, there's some conflicting news on that because even though he is starting the year on the pup list, he, he thinks he'll be at full speed for, you know, for uh, be ready for opening day or for week one, opening day, week one, you know what I mean? Um, uh, Reached 23 miles an hour on a GPS, Nick. Uh, yeah, I saw that last week. That's, that's a good sign, right? I mean, whether he's, he's on pup or not, I mean, he's clearly in condition enough to, to run that quickly. I I would love to know what I, like, what my absolute peak would have topped out at, probably like nine miles an hour. I mean, 23 <laughs> seems completely ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is one of those situations we have to keep cautioning people that, you know, pup is, is, is like such a, a negative acronym in the NFL, but there is a big, big difference between the preseason pup list uh, and the actual pup list. So right. I, I think they're just exercising a lot of caution here. Um, you know, we compared Brees Hall to Javante Williams. Brees Hall got hurt three weeks after 
Javante Williams did. Um, so, you know, if, if you're saying they're on maybe comparable timelines, then within a few weeks here, I, I think we see Brees Hall working his way back up to speed. But uh, as we alluded to earlier, like I, I, w- I was much more confident in, in Brees Hall being the one who would be further along than Javante Williams. And uh, I, I, I trust that they're, they're still comparable uh, in a lot of ways. Again, I don't think Brees Hall is in any danger of missing week one. Um, but, but interesting nonetheless uh, for him to land on pub. RB 13 since July 1st, right behind Jameer Gibbs and Najee Harris, right ahead of Travis Etienne and Kenneth Walker. Uh, I, I probably won't pay that price. Uh, I haven't yet, but he also has first round ceiling. You know, that's the thing. Right. Uh, that, that makes it a harder decision. Like, I, you know, it, I, I think, uh, but it, I tend to think though, like, yeah, I'm going to fade most ACL guys, ACL running backs in their first year back. I might get, I, I'll get, I could get burned like I did with Adrian Peterson when he was the super healer, but right. I think most running backs are not super healers. No, I mean, Adrian Peterson is almost in a category of his own. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Derrick Henry at some point. Uh, you know, I, I think he's somebody that I kind of think about differently in, in, in terms of his physical makeup. Uh, maybe, maybe Brees Hall is that guy. Who, who knows? But I think it's too early to, uh, to make any kind of declaration there. But you mentioned the key thing with Brees Hall is that if, if this breaks right, I mean, he is, he is absolutely a first round talent, right? I mean, you, you think yep. of that last game before he got hurt 20 carries, 116 yards against Green Bay, had a touchdown in that game. I had a couple like six catch games before that. Um, you know, if if the receiving becomes more consistent with Aaron Rodgers, like he is, he is capable of, of taking a swing pass to the house. And we saw that the previous week against Miami. I think he had two catches for like a hundred some yards yep. uh, in that game. So I mean, the the big play upside with Brees Hall, you know, the the general I think excitement about this Jets offense is what's pushing him up draft boards. But um, I, I mean, at the same time, when you mentioned those guys that he's going around, you know, he's going after Ramondre Stevenson, right ahead of ETN, Jameer Gibbs. I think that's about right, given the risk profile here. Um, you know, ETN versus Brees Hall to me is, is a, a really tough call, though. Yeah, I I, I think it is as well. Um, I think I'm leaning on the ETN side because he's healthy now. Yes. Um, and I also like the Jacksonville offense. I like their schedule a little bit better, although they do play a first-place schedule, but they also play the AFC South, which we like. Yeah, we, we love we love getting six games uh, against Indy. Houston and Tennessee. I'll tell you that. I think especially Houston and, and Indy, those are big ones. So that, that does offset what's otherwise a pretty difficult schedule. I mean, it is a first place schedule. They have some, some really tough, uh, you know, out of division games. They get Baltimore, they get KC. I think they get San Francisco as well. Um, so it, it's not an easy schedule by any means, but um, that's just how the NFL works. I mean, there's, there's not a single team that just has like a bunch of FCS teams on the schedule. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Uh, one more uh, news item before we start talking about contract situations, the value of running backs, but Isaiah Pacheco, he's still in a uh, yellow non-contact Jersey, uh, but he says he's absolutely certain he's going to be hundred percent for the start of the season. Are you buying? Oh, you know, I'm buying. I, I, I think I jumped in like four more best balls uh, since we last talked. I got a nice. bunch of drafts on going and I, I continue, I continue to load up on Pacheco, man. He, he falls in a lot of drafts. I think he got a kind of like a one week discount. Well, he was in limbo here with, with the pup designation and all that. Um, but th- this this is kind of all the, uh, you know, really everything that we needed to hear, I think, from Pacheco. And I think it hammers home the point that this is a, a cautionary placement on pup. Um, you know, since June 1st in NFFC drafts, he's still going right around pick 80. Uh, he has a min of 50, max of 100. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a handful of best ball drafts where you'll see him, you know, available in the early 90s. I, I'm taking him, you know, like the, the, the back going behind him, Jeff, right now is David Montgomery. Uh, that is the, the backup running back, we think, for the Detroit Lions. Um, you know, but not Cook, really a backup, though, Nick, because he's he's uh, going to take the Jamal Williams role. 
Yeah, is he gonna is he gonna rush for eighteen touchdowns? I don't know, man. I mean, we we talked to Scott Pianowski, uh, the great Scott Pianowski of Yahoo, uh, on the radio late mm-hmm. last week, and you know he he has a great piece up, you know, kind of breaking down a handful of running backs, and you know he he noted that David Montgomery was like literally on a per carry basis, like the least effective running back in football last year, and you know part of that is is you know playing in Chicago and what was just such a a convoluted offense, but um, I, I will you know I, I take Pacheco over Montgomery every single day. I, to me, that's not even a debate. Okay. Uh, James Cook is the next one behind that with the news on uh, Hines. I think mm-hmm. Cook may might merit a bump, but again, yeah. that's how much it also kind of depends on how you feel about Damian Harris too. I happen to really like James Cook, right? but eh, could be wrong. I also like yeah. Damian Harris though, too. I mean, I, I think that's the better backup situation. Like, you know, Harris yeah. worries me as far as cutting into Cook's workload more than CEH and, and McKinnon do cutting into Pacheco's just because I, I think Pacheco is such a definitively different player than the guys behind him. Whereas you can see cook and, and Harris emerging as more of a timeshare, but I also view both of these offenses really similarly, right? I mean, we're talking about yeah. the KC offense and the Buffalo offense. I mean, these could be two of the, the four best offenses in all of football. So I, I think there will be plenty to go around in, in each of those situations, right. but not necessarily the best for running backs, which is interesting too. Uh, you know, it just, the way it, the way it works out. Uh, Detroit adjacent question. Uh, Rolo Tomasi was asking about Jameer Gibbs at his current ADP. Does he concern you uh, with Montgomery? You uh, replacing Williams in that role. Uh, what say you? Tamir Gibbs is running back 12 right now since July 1st in the NFFC. It concerns me a little bit just because, I mean, he's a rookie running back, right? And he's not B. John Robinson. He's not Saquon Barkley. He's not Christian McCaffrey. Um, you know, these guys who are just ultra, ultra elite, you know, can't miss type of players. Uh, you know, obviously, he was drafted in, in a similar range. So the implication is that he could be that type of guy. I, I feel like he's going a little too high. I, I think I only have him on one team so far. Uh, you know, Gibbs versus ETN. Uh, that's a debate that a lot of a lot of best ball players and a lot of drafters have had to have so far. But um, you know, with, with Gibbs, it's I'm not so much worried about David Montgomery necessarily. I, I'm just worried about his his overall usage. You know, I think when they took him, you know, it was like, okay, man, this guy could kind of be used as this. You know, he's super jittery. You know, you could get him out in the flat as a pass catcher. It could be used there. It's like, is he somebody that is going to be carrying the ball 15 to 20 times every game? Like, I, I guess I have a hard time envisioning that right away. Yeah, I can. I hear you on that. Um, I I do think that that's obviously something that could be a concern. So we'll see. Uh, Let's move on to talk running back value. But before we do that, we'll talk about value in uh, the Circa Survivor and Pick'em Contest. Get ready for more millions guaranteed. The biggest pro football contests in Vegas are back and bigger than ever with $14 million in guaranteed prizes only at Circa Sports. Enter in Nevada. Play from anywhere. Two ways to win and no rake. Play Circa Million, make five picks against the spread each week with 100% payback to players. Grand finale winner takes home $1 million. Last place takes home $100,000 and a booby prize. With quarterly and full season payouts, $6 million is guaranteed. Join Circa Survivor to select one team each week straight up with no repeat selections. If the team loses or ties, the entry is eliminated. Each team can only be picked once in a season. Go 20 and zero or be the last person standing to win it all at $8 million guaranteed $14 million in guaranteed prizes overall visit circusports.com for details. Also our podcast is always on the blue wire network. Here is a couple of ads from them. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Nick. Over the weekend... There was a Zoom summit uh, hosted by, I believe, Austin Eckler. A lot of the top running backs were there. They're mad as heck and not taking it anymore. Um, they, they may not have a choice, unfortunately. But the running backs, again, it's been highlighted how little leverage they have, how little value, they, how little they're being valued in the NFL. When Dawson Knox and uh, Evan Ingram are making more than Saquon Barkley uh, is guaranteed to make there with the, with the franchise tag, you know, it's remarkable. The franchise tag. It was at 10.9. Now it's 10.1. It's actually gone down for running backs and they do it by position. Is there a way, you know, this is clearly, it strikes everybody as unfair, but what, what can we do about it? You know, I, I think our, our guy, Chris Liss actually had a pretty reasonable idea uh, that he threw out on Twitter last week, just regarding, um, you know, I, I think that the cleanest way to, to go about this is, you know, kind of a, a, you know, changing, I guess, how running back salaries impact the salary cap. I, I think that's the the biggest issue, right? Is it, it's not necessarily that these these billionaire owners or these teams like don't want to hand over money to running backs. It's that you don't want to spend X percentage of your cap on a running back. So, you know, I, I think if you could, you know, kind of increase the salary number and have it count, say, fifty to seventy percent against the cap. Uh, to me, that would make a lot of sense. You know, I've seen some people say, oh, you know, okay, maybe, maybe you shorten contracts for running backs so they can, mm-hmm. you know, they can hit free agency after their second season. I, I get, I get the logic there. I, I think for the top players, that would make a lot of sense. Uh, but I, I also think that would lead to, you know, more team hopping, uh, which is not necessarily, I think what the NFL wants or even what players want. And I, I think that would lead to less security for the not only running backs, right? I mean, if you're, if you're like a fifth round pick and you, maybe you haven't had too many opportunities through your first two seasons, all of a sudden your contract is up and yeah, that's great. If you're Saquon Barkley, you can sign for a, a much higher figure and you're only like 24 years old. But if you're somebody that, that doesn't have that body of work or doesn't have that, that level of draft prestige, uh, you know, it makes it that much easier for, for a team to move on. So to me, that's not necessarily uh, the, the, the final solution here, but I, I think, you know, kind of trying to find a way to, to balance the, the salary versus the cap hit to me, that that's the cleanest and quickest way I think that the NFL could combat this problem. And it's, it's a real issue. It, it's a, a big time issue that the league has to face. You know, I, I've seen some comparisons to, you know, kind of phasing out of fullbacks and I get that. I, I totally get that. Especially if you're a fullback, you're probably thinking, Hey, why, why doesn't anybody care about us? But for better, or for worse, running back is a premier position. Like these are guys that make money for teams. These are still fan favorites. These are players that, you know, fans are buying their Jersey. Like you running backs still matter. They, they might not matter as much, as they did 15 years ago, they might not matter as much in fantasy as they did 20 years ago, uh, but they, they are still a, a huge part of this game. And I think the NFL is kind of running down a slippery slope here um, where, where you don't really want to phase out such a key position. So they, they need to find something here. Uh, you know, reading the write-ups in the aftermath of uh, 
the call on Saturday night. Doesn't really sound like a whole lot of resolutions were reached. You know, I, I think a no. lot of players voice concerns. Uh, a lot of players are, are on the same page here. Um, and something that struck me as interesting was, you know, Nick Chubb, who's, he's already signed his second contract, right? I mean, he, right. he's one of the guys that got his money, but he's, he has nothing guaranteed beyond this year. So he's saying like, yeah, you know, I, I empathize with these guys who haven't gotten a second contract, but all of a sudden I'm going to be in the same situation a year from now. So, you know, I, I think yep. a lot of players who, a lot of players who aren't directly affected right now, you know, a lot of the attentions on Jacobs and, and Saquon Barkley and rightfully so, but I think there are other backs who are starting to look ahead and say, okay, I, I want this to be sorted out by the time it's time for my next contract. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Joe Mixon signed a sec, did get a second contract, but guess what? He had to restructure this year just to stay with the team, took exactly. a big haircut. Uh, and, you know, that that's that's the thing that you're going to see as well with that. Um, the only problem with, like, the salary cap hit solution is it's necessarily zero sum. It's going to put running backs against other players on the team. You know, if yeah. if if running backs take, you know, take less of a hit against the cap. That means other players are making more of a hit against the cap. It means that mm-hmm. offensive linemen, and I've seen like, okay, let's make sure like tackles have one thing and then interior linemen have another and all that. Well, guess what? That that's going to screw those guys too. I mean, someone's getting screwed. It's not like they're like snidely whiplash. They're like twirling their mustache and saying, right. Oh, we'll screw these guys. But I don't think the NFL itself views this as a problem. I think players and the agents in it, players association does fans do, but yeah. You know, guess what? This is all collectively bargained, and the players yeah. have no leverage. That's the biggest problem. Or very little leverage. They right. lost every single contract negotiation. Um, so you can say, well, that's the contract you signed. Well, guess what? That's the best contract they could have gotten because the owners hold the cards. Um, and it, it's never been fair. Uh, it, it's always been a situation there where, hey, you, you know, th- there is some give and take. There is some back and forth. The players have some leverage, but I mean, the, remember, I'm old enough to remember the strike and how much, how badly it failed and how we had replacement players and how the league went on and it broke the players association. It really did. And mm-hmm. they haven't fully recovered from that. Yeah. I think you could say, you know, between the NBA, major league baseball and the NFL, I mean, the, the NFL players association probably has the, the least negotiating power, the, at least, you know, how these last few CBAs have broken down. And I think part of it is, you know, how positionally segmented the league is, right? It's so unique, right? Like in the NBA, you got, you got five guys out there in your starting lineup. And, you know, you can say like, yeah, traditional centers have been phased out, but uh, you know, teams are, are playing more positional, you know, positionalist basketball than ever. It hasn't really, there's never like a you know point guards versus small forwards debate when it comes to the CBA. Whereas in football, you know, you have such defined roles, such defined positions, different levels of, of, of physical punishment. Obviously the running back is near the top of the list when it comes to that, that I, I think it, it makes for a really difficult negotiation where it's like each position group kind of has to look out for themselves and, you know, running backs are the, are the ones that have been squeezed the most. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's good to, to kind of band together if you're running backs, but ultimately I, I don't know, I don't know that there's going to be any sort of short-term change, right? I mean, if anything, we're, we're looking long-term at, at something, you know, it's not anything, nothing's going to change with the CBA between now and, and week one. Like we need to be very clear about that. And my guess is that, uh, that's kind of the conclusion that that these group of backs ran into on this call. So something needs to be done, man. I, I'm not going to pretend like there's a, a perfect solution out there. I, I think if there was, uh, we, we would have come to it. But uh, my hope, at least, is that you know ownership and and you know teams kind of recognize that this is this is a real issue. And you know, right now they're they're playing by the rules uh, that that govern the NFL, and you can't fault them for that. But um, I, I think there's some wiggle room here that that you know we, we could kind of come to some sort of uh, you know, agreement here on a, a way to reverse this trend because it's really concerning. It is. It is. It feels wrong, but 
like the uh, if you've seen the wire you you could be like uh, marlon you think it's one way you want it to be one way but it's the other um and unfortunately the other is uh, you know just dumbing down the value of these running backs josh jacobs took a was seen taking a plane out of vegas uh train cap opens tomorrow for the raiders He's obviously not going to be there. He hasn't signed his franchise tender, so there's no financial mm-hmm. penalty for missing training camp for him. It's just he, he, he's, he and Barkley are in the similar boat. Compare that to uh, the situation in Dallas where you know yeah. Pollard signed his tender. He's going to play on that contract. Jacobs yeah. is Jacobs and Barkley are going to hold out longer. Uh, and the, there's no the problem is now like there, there's nothing that you can do. It's just basically yes, it's like exactly. Yeah, there, there is no contract negotiation right now. There's nothing. There is no give and take. There's, it's not a holdout because there's no negotiation allowed. I think that's right. the crazy thing. That that maybe that's one of the solutions you could do. You could push. You know, make it a. I don't know if there's some sort of like soft deadline, some sort of, you know, remove the ability, the mm-hmm. disability to negotiate something long term. Like if you sign your tender, then okay, we can negotiate a long term deal or something like that. Uh, yeah. Because I, I like that idea. I like that idea yeah. a lot because you're totally right. I mean, it's a it's technically a holdout, I suppose, but the, it's not like Saquon Barkley is holding out in, in hopes of landing this new deal before week one. Like that's that is quite literally off the table. Yeah, uh, it, it is. And that that's that's very frustrating. So Jacob, but uh, the Vegas beat writers seem to think that Jacobs will be back in time for week one. I, I think Barkley will be, too. I think both of them will come back, but. I mean, right now we just have to, it's just wait and see. And you're not going to get a resolution the next month. And if you're drafting now, it's going to feel very squishy and very uncomfortable. Uh, And, you know, maybe you have, maybe you know somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody Uh, and you can get a good, better feel for Jacobs and and or Barkley when they're going to come back. But, uh, you know, it's just, you have to be risky. I I remember uh, doing Scott Fishbowl. We were in Vegas like four years ago when Melvin Gordon was going through his thing, and I took him right. Bef- I, I I didn't realize how bad the situation was there, um, and I was like, "Oh crap!" Now I got to deal with it. Now he came back. He broke, as yep. typically they do. But uh, that that's the situation. Uh, it's not just running backs, by the way. Chris Jones also uh, not anywhere close to a deal with the Chiefs. He is out right now too. Big play for the Chiefs defense. Bad weekend for the Chiefs, by the way. Tony hurt. Jones yep. not happy. Not close to a deal. Um, you know, uncertainty about Pacheco. Uh, we'll see uh, what what they do. I know there's some buzz on Justin Ross, uh, on Richie James in Kansas City. Oh, yeah. We'll see what the, these guys. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of transition going on there. Yeah, we're, worth noting on Saquon, by the way, that if you just look at the last week, I mean, he's going about seven spots later on average in the yeah. NFFC than he was if you if you go from June first. Um, so yeah, we're, we're already seeing that fear creep in and, and yet, you know, we, we broadcasted an FSGA draft last Monday, right after the podcast. And I think he went, what, like fifth or sixth overall in that draft. Oh, so Fox took him. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's, it's totally yeah. going to depend. It's totally going to depend on, on the drafter. Right. And we, we had the guy on who took him and he, I thought he mounted a pretty good defense. He was like, look, man, uh, like I, I got a chance to get a league winner here and I, I don't think he's going to sit out. And for that reason, I'm comfortable taking there. I, when I do that, no, I would not, but there are still going to be guys who are willing to take Saquon in the first round. No question. I mean, his mid pick over the last week is still six overall. His max pick is 28. Um, but it, it, it's going to be a case by case thing. Like you, you can't, you can't sit back and expect to now get Saquon Barkley at pick like 25 in every draft, but it's going to happen. Uh, it, it totally depends on the risk reward profile of people in your room. Yep. That's right. Uh, I think that's absolutely right about that. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, what, what happens with these guys, but yeah. Very, very uh, uncomfortable, and eh, that, that, I think it just kind of 
talks about what sort of drafter you are, which kind of leads into starting to talk strategy. But before we jump into the robust versus hero versus zero and double and anchor and all that uh, for running backs, we got to share a couple more commercial notes. We'll go ahead and do that right now. Um, starting off with Reality Sports Online. By now, most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go and see where all, what all the buzz in the dynasty community is about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Think it sounds complicated? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is a platform to test your mettle. Still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code ROTOWIRE to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Also, we are sponsored by Fantrax. For you fantasy football players out there, is there something you wish your fantasy league had or features that are missing from your current leagues? Bonus scoring, custom schedules or playoffs, deeper team settings. Well, look no further because we have you covered with our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Create or join a fantasy football commissioner league, invite your friends, and dominate your draft this season. Fantrax is the top dynasty fantasy football platform in the industry. You coming? Are you coming from another service? Not a problem. Fantrax can easily import any of your current leagues and rosters and customize if needed. Ever have a trade go wrong or made a mistake in dropping a player? Fantrax commissioner tools allow you to undo any move with one simple click. If there is anything lacking in your current fantasy league manager, Fantrax likely has it. Fantrax is running a special promotion you don't want to miss. Sign up for free at Fantrax.com slash Rotowire today to enter for your chance to win tickets for any regular season NFL game for you and your entire league. Plus, you get $6,000 in spending cash. That's right. Tickets for your entire league. Simply create a new league or bring over your existing leagues for more chances to win. Simply go to Fantrax.com slash Rotowire and sign up today. Fantrax, the home of fantasy sports. All right, Jeff Erickson here with Nick Whalen. We're talking running back strategies now. Uh, and we've been talking all things running backs. Let's talk about the strategies. And I think it's just worth a quick discussion, you know, that coming in with a plan, if you know your draft slot and you know your league, that can help you streamline your draft, be better prepared for the, the kind of the rises and falls of certain players, uh, and just give you that framework to draft your team. Uh, I, I Sometimes that's not possible when you're just jumping into a best ball, but... I think when you when you got your big important leagues, having that strategy is pretty darn important. Very very important for sure. Uh, you know, especially in in higher stakes leagues where you know every single other drafter in that room is has done as much if not more research as you have. Um, you know, I, I would say, I mean, you still want to bring a plan like into your hometown league. You know, maybe maybe you're you're playing with people who that's their only league that they're not paying attention year round, but. In those leagues, I think it's more of a, a read and react type of thing. Like I, I play in some home leagues here in Wisconsin where 
you know, Aaron Rodgers was like a lock to go in round one every year. And it's like, okay, I, I need to be ready to, to take advantage of this because I, I know, you know, Packers players are going to be pushed up the board, but yeah, in these, you know, in, in these higher stakes leagues, especially you, you need to have a plan and you probably need to have kind of a backup plan too. Or at least, you know, I like to go into those first like two or three rounds with, you know, a list of, okay, if this guy's here, I'm taking him. If not, you know, here's the backup plan. Here's who I, who's all I'll, I'll take next. Um, you know, if, if I'm thinking running back and the guy I'm targeting is gone, then maybe I pivot to receiver. Um, we had a great chat with list last week about that in, in his latest, uh, beat Chris list draft, right. Where he, you know, he, I think he was hoping to get Jonathan Taylor at like pick nine or 10. He ended up pivoting and going receiver receiver because that was his backup plan. Yeah, exactly. Um, and everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth as Mike Tyson. Yeah, right. said very, we should know very rarely does it go according to plan. And you come out of your draft saying, wow, that, that was exactly like I expected. Yeah. But what is handy is having pockets of players that fit your plan and no, kind of yes. knowing like, okay. This doesn't, if, you know, it's kind of choose your own adventure. If you don't, if this doesn't happen, okay, I have pivot B, C, and D here as, as my options uh, to go with there. Uh, and I'll, I think a lot of plans, their framework is built around what are you doing with running back? Obviously, such an important position. You know, getting getting the right running backs is huge. Getting in and kind of like how you allocate your assets is important. The traditional way of drafting, more often than not, is robust. You know, is trying to get your running backs early, getting two in the first three rounds, three in the first three rounds, or three in the top four or five. Um, I think that's the pl- the way most drafters, or at least traditionally, have been more comfortable drafting. In general, yes, I think we're seeing that degrade. Uh, you know, year by year, a little bit more. You know, you're starting to to see more hero RB, zero RB has obviously become kind of a buzzy way to draft over the last couple of years, but you're, you're right. I mean, traditionally it's been all about, you know, kind of trying to lock in at least two running backs that you feel great about. Uh, but you know, it, it, it kind of goes year to year, right? Like it does feel like this year, there are more running backs that I'm comfortable taking early on than in years past, but you know, some years that that list is quite a bit shorter. And, and then, you know, it feels like the emergence of, you know, more receivers like the I mean, receivers this year, it's just such a incredibly deep position. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons that I am more comfortable starting, you know, maybe two running backs in my first three picks is I, I generally like the the batch of receivers that I could get in like rounds five through eight than I do the running backs that are left at that okay. time. And, and that's 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 kind of emblematic of, of the way that the league is moving, right? I mean, almost every team now has like at least two receivers and some teams, you know, three or even four uh, that you feel okay about, or you could at least feel like, okay, I, I have a projectable path for what I think this receiver is going to do this season. And, you know, the amount of quarterback talent in the league obviously ties into uh, how many receivers you feel good about. But uh, to me, there's, there's usually like a steeper cliff for running backs than, than there is receivers. Yeah. I think, I think there is, I, I kind of prefer more the uh, honestly, I like a lot of the running backs in the five through eight and nine and 10 okay. rounds. Um, so I'm more comfortable with that, but let's talk robust here. Um, and I I've seen arguments, uh, you know, pro and con for robust uh, running back. And usually it's not year dependent. And that's the thing I always kind of find, think is kind of interesting. I, yeah. I, I think one of the things that gets overlooked is if the crowd is going robust, then you're probably better off going hero or zero. If the crowd is going, yes. you know, zero, you know, and you get, you know, three teams or, or, or say you get three or four teams going zero running back or hero, you know, or, you know, one running back in the third round or something like that. Mm-hmm you're better off going robust. You know, it, it's, it's kind of, I, I think that's one of the, the, mm-hmm. the forgotten things about talking about any of these things. And you have to have the flexibility to kind of be aware of being different than everybody else. Cause that's where the value is. And, mm-hmm. and I know in value, you, you can get caught up on the concept of value. I understand that, but I, I do think though, 
you get a better chance of filling your roster the way you want with the players you like if you're willing to go strategy-wise different than everybody else. Right, and you need to be ready to identify and kind of pivot as necessary, right? And you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it, those strategies might not become clear until the third round. Um, so you, you kind of you have to very closely track, you know, obviously what happens in round one, especially if you're picking toward the end of that. Um, yeah, I, if I'm if I'm building a you know kind of a, a, a uh, you know, robust RB strategy, I think I'd almost rather pick late and just kind of have you know two picks over the course of six total picks, something like that. You know, picking tenth in a in a twelve team league, you know that that kind of gives you less variance. You know, whereas if you're if you're picking third and you take Christian McCaffrey or you take Austin Eckler, you have a long wait and a lot can happen before you get back to your next pick at that point. And you know that's that's when you really have to be ready to pivot because. You know, if, if seven running backs or eight running backs go in that span, you know, all of a sudden, you know, that the strategy that you had laid out could, could get blown up. But yeah, I mean, in general, you know, if we're talking robust running backs, I mean, as a definition, you're probably taking what, at least three or four running backs in the first six or seven rounds. I'd say probably four. I'd say three in the first five. You okay. know, I think it's I, when you're talking robust, you're trying to allocate a lot of draft capital, yes. trying to get like you, you're, you're ensuring that your running back is filling your flex spot, for instance. Um, yes. I, yes. I, I, and it's funny cause I was going to ask you what does robust work better in the early half, early, middle or late of, uh, of the first round is a starting point there. Um, I, I pulled up the NFBC ADP NFFC ADP and I put it in a draft board form, uh, which is pretty cool. And you can kind of see like, there's actually fewer running backs going in the NFFC, which is three wide receivers in a flex and it's full point PPR than there are in, mm-hmm. you know, other formats there. So I think it's also format is also a thing we need to talk about, but you know, uh, you know, if you got like, say, if you're in, like the ninth slot, you might be able to get a Bijan Barkley combo. That'd right. be pretty sassy. I mean, that that that's robust. And then that you're also adding like Dalvin Cook later on. You're adding Dobbins, or you're adding uh, yep. you know someone else in that range. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm looking at the same board you are. I mean, like you said, you could get you know Bijan and Saquon. I mean, that's a very very doable combination right now, especially with Saquon sliding a little bit. I mean, it could be. It could be Bijan and, and and Nick Chubb, uh, you know Jonathan Taylor in certain drafts. Like I, you know, to kind of answer the question that you that you threw out there a couple minutes ago, it's like I, I if I'm going robust running back, I want to I want to start with that. Like I want to get guys that I feel really good about that could you know in theory you know I could have two of the top three or four running backs in the entire league in terms of total fantasy points. So uh, you know, I mean, there are some builds where you could you know you could get Eckler, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne. You could get McCaffrey, Tony Pollard and uh you know Magic Harris or, or Brees Hall whoever that is like those are those are the type of guys I want you know I, I don't I don't want to feel like I'm you know I'm forced to start a you know someone like a, a David Montgomery or you know Zach Charbonnet or something in my in my in my flex spot you know if you're assuming right. two starters at running back in that flex like I, I want to feel really really good about all three of those guys so you know maybe that means you know that probably means burning three of your first four picks on a running back but you made the really important point though that it it, it totally depends how the draft breaks, because if five other people out of 12 have the same idea, um, you know, all five of you are going to suffer. Like you're not going to build that, that robust RB room that you think you're going to build. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and so I, I think that that's super important. Who are your targets? Like, like I know you're a Derrick Henry stand, so let's, let's start there. And the new uniforms that were uh, going across the new slash old uniforms that were going across Twitter the other day, that, that probably uh, didn't hurt mm-hmm. your uh, cause there just a little bit. Yeah, I think that that's good for like five slots worth of ADP uh, of a bump. That's for, like for an extra Henry. Houston game built right in. Yeah, I, I kind of forgot that they owned the, the the Houston Oilers like intellectual property, right? You know, the, mm-hmm. it, it's a little strange when you when you bring in a different city, especially when there's currently a team in that city 
Um, but you know, that, that's how it works as far as the franchise owning that. Um, like I, I know in the NBA, like the, the Oklahoma city thunder, you know, they were the Sonics and moved to OKC, but the city of Seattle retained the rights to all the Sonics branding. Like OKC can't wear Seattle Sonics throwbacks. Like they, they don't own that. So it's interesting to me that Tennessee held on to that the right way, by the way. Oh yeah. Oh, especially with how that, that whole move went. Yeah. I think that was, that was a non-starter. Um, uh, but no, I, I I'm in on Derrick Henry. Uh, I'm going to have a video going up on Rotowire YouTube later this week, kind of talking about some of my, my, my favorite targets at running back. And he's one of them. Um, you know, it's a, I think the, the case for and against Derrick Henry this season is it's, it's kind of theoretical, right? Like the people that are staying away from Derrick Henry are saying, okay, he's going to be 29. He's had all this wear and tear. He got hurt two years ago with the foot. That could still be something that's a lingering concern. Um, you're, you're basically saying, I think he's going to get hurt. And that's why I'm not drafting him. I, yep. I'm going the other way and saying, look, I, I think this guy is a physical freak. He's in that Adrian Peterson category for me. Uh, you know, would I, would I be taking him, you know, at pick 15 when he's 31? No, but uh, I, I still think he has at least one more elite year left in him. He had his best receiving year uh, of his NFL career last season. He was like top three in basically every, uh, you know, significant running back metric. Like there's, there's nothing to lead us to believe that he's falling off of a cliff physically, other than the belief that, you know, collectively everyone just thinks this is the year that he like tears his ACL or rips up his ankle or something. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I think, especially at cost, like you don't have to burn the, the fourth overall pick on him like you did a few years ago. Um, I, I just feel like the, the risk, uh, that the perceived risk is, is so worth the reward on Derrick Henry. Yeah. I, I'll say a couple other things on targets. Uh, and I just brought up Henry as an example. But when I'm talking targets for a robust, because I'm allocating these, these high draft picks and I'm counting on these guys, three of them every single week, I'm looking for no question marks at all. Injury. Okay roll, you name it. Like Barkley, I'm probably not going to take in a robust uh, draft right now because it's at the expense of like not having a wide receiver early on. I I don't want to have to, you know, worry about week one. I want to know that my guy is in there. So uh, I'm looking for, you know, Nick, 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 Nick Chubb's awesome in that respect. Um, I might not be looking for Travis Etienne just because I don't know if he's going to get past cat. You know, he's going to catch passes this year. I'm going to look for, you know, and I'm definitely going to try to find those. These guys are also becoming increasingly scarce. It's hard to find these guys that there's very few question marks about, but I'm looking for certainty. I might pass up a little upside knowing that I'm getting these three guys because it's at, it's at the exclusion of other positions. Um, yeah. I, and I'm definitely fading all injury questions. Like J.K. Yeah. Dobbins would not be on a robust team for sure. Well, that's the thing is you're you're leaving so much uh, you know you, you perceive value on the table at other positions that you can't you can't afford to have a blow up at running back. Like the one position that you're going all in on, you have to hit. You absolutely have to hit that position to to carry your team. That's that's the point of the build. Um, I, I think before we move on to you know some of the other running back strategies, I, I want to just kind of be clear on like when you when you're doing robust RB, like what what is the goal for you going into that draft? Like what uh, what risk factors are you looking to either mitigate or lean into or kind of eliminate some, some other positional risk? Like what, uh, what, what is the, the true upside uh, of going with that style of build? It's that, you know, you have the certainty of starting them every single week, right? Um, it's that you're not chasing as much on the waiver wire. You're still grabbing guys when you see upside, but um, I, I, I think it's just that, you know, they're, they're in a league where the position is becoming a little bit more devalued, finding the guys that are killing it at that position gives you a heads up over everybody else. I mean, it's, I think you can use that argument for every position, but sure. you know, and, and, and in fact, the fly in the ointment right now for 
like you, uh, robust strategies a little bit is the push of these early quarterbacks. I think right. it actually helps the robust drafters a little bit because yeah. robust drafters are almost certainly by definition waiting on quarterbacks a little bit more often. So 100%. if other people are pushing a quarterback earlier, great. That gives me a receiver that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. It gives me, you know, yeah. it, it, it gives me TJ Hawkinson instead of waiting to the, the bet, the depth of uh, tight ends there. Uh, the yeah, fungible 100%. Tight yeah, I mean, um, if you have if you have six quarterbacks going in the top forty, I mean that's six spots that you could say, okay, somebody's not taking a receiver, or you know, I, I think the other way to look at it is those guys aren't taking running backs, right? So it, it gives you, it, you know, I think it gives you a better shot in like rounds two or three of landing a running back that you still feel really good about, you know, like Ramondre Stevenson going thirty overall. You know, part of that is the fact that you have three, three, four, maybe even five quarterbacks going ahead of it. Yeah. The, the counter argument too is though like okay well I'm now waiting on quarterback 12 instead of quarterback 10 perhaps uh yeah. but maybe I mean you, yeah. you got to break me, there's the, just not a huge difference there right I think we, right. we've talked about that a lot on the pod For and sure. on the show it's like when you when you start getting into the Watson Tua Dak Cousins Geno uh you know Goff Rogers like I certainly there are people that have their favorites you know I if you're if you're a huge believer in a Russell Wilson bounce back or you know an Aaron Rodgers resurgence. I'm willing to hear you out on that, but um, like, I, if, if you're if you're concerning yourself with running backs first and foremost, I think a necessary um, you know kind of consolation is that you're uh, you know you're, you're kind of willing to to take what you get at quarterback. Yeah, let's distinguish between uh, robust versus double or dual RB. Um, dual RB is where you take like running backs the first two rounds sometimes bimodal yeah. i think it's called fantasy pros was mentioning the other day never heard it called bimodal but we'll go with that um I, I it's basically the idea is you take two running back running back and then you wait you don't take that third one necessarily there you just get the top you you get to two of them right away and then you go volume in the double digit rounds or like eighth ninth tenth round something like that yeah. but you wait a long time you fill all your other positions you get two of them a little bit different um because you're not you're not feeling the flex with the running back spot yeah I, I mean honestly i think this is a strategy that a lot of people just probably do without even thinking about it yeah right? uh, if, if the board if the board breaks your way and you you end up with Bijan and saquon and those are just kind of the two best values then you go from there and yeah i, I think it's probably more common than than people would think you know you're, you know, a the traditional way in fact yeah right right exactly i think if you if you kind of average out like the last 20 years of fantasy yeah that would probably be the prevailing strategy um, you know, I, it's, it's a little riskier, I guess, uh, depending on which running backs you land, of course, because if you're only taking two and one of them gets hurt or one of them, you know, falls out of favor for whatever reason. And, you know, your next running back is like, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Khalil Herbert or something like then Yeah. You're, you're going to be in, in some trouble there, but I think the pro on the other side of it is you're in theory, a lot more well-rounded at the other positions. You know, you're, you're not taking one receiver in your first six picks. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, uh, and it, it does give you a little bit more flexibility to get that tight end, get that quarterback if you want to, to go ahead that yep. route. So I, it, it's almost the traditional strategy there. Uh, let's compare that to a couple of non-robust running back strategies. These are considered hyper-fragile, I guess, if you will. Uh, they're, they're focusing more on the fragility of the position, the variance that's involved, and it gets you stronger at other spots where you might not be able to find that replacement on the waiver wire. Let's start off with hero or anchor. Uh, running backs because uh, I this is one that I think people say they like doing this actually running this plan is a little bit more difficult than 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 uh, I think it's uh, and then it's and in actuality it's harder to pull off than it is in theory but 
in a in the, like anchor or a hero running back, you're getting that one stud running back in the first round, and yep. then you're holding off for a long time, and then you're going back to the volume later on. Yeah, you're exactly right uh, in terms of the the strategy there. And again, I, I think this is one that um, you know a lot of people kind of fall backwards into, especially if you're you're feeling the pressure in a draft to. Uh, uh, either grab one of the elite quarterbacks who are being pushed up the board for a reason or kind of keep pace with the rest of the field. Because in, in most drafts, especially higher stakes drafts, you're going to see, you know, kind of more receivers uh, going early. We, we saw that in the, the FSGA draft on Monday as well. Um, so it, it allows you to kind of feel like you're, you're at least keeping pace there. You're not falling way behind at such a key position at wide receiver. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily love this one because you're putting a lot of stock in that first running back, right? And if it's Christian McCaffrey and he plays 11 games, you're, you're in pretty big trouble. Like you, you don't even have a second running back, let alone a, a robust room of running backs to fall back on. Um, and, and again, you know, sometimes it's a strategy that you just have to employ value wise. You know, if you're picking seventh overall and Austin Eckler's there, it's like, yeah, you're probably going to take them and, and kind of form your draft the rest of the way. But uh, you know, it, it, either way, uh, even if that, that first running back hits like you're planning, you're still going to be scrambling. You know, you're still going to be working the waiver wire most weeks. You, you know, there, there, there might be some weeks where, uh, you know, the, the second running back that you feel good about, he's on by, he's injured. Um, and then, then, you know, you're, you're really going to be scrambling in those particular situations. So it's, it's a, a difficult strategy to pull off, but yep. if, if you thread the needle and you you pick the right running back in round one, um, you know, it, it's, it's a really, really high upside way to draft. Yeah. I mean, if you did Austin Eckler last year as your hero, your anchor, I mean, which, you know, a lot of people that won best ball contest did uh, works famously. If it was Jonathan Taylor, and you took him at 1.1. Exactly. <laughs> Bad times. Bad times indeed. Uh, unless, of course, you you hit on some late round guys like you. But even that, like they're late round guys. Okay, Brees Hall was looking awesome, and then he then he got hurt. You know, Kenneth Walker had a stretch where he got hurt, and then he closed strong at least. But point is, it's harder for those guys to work out. I think when you go anchor, when you go hero, you really got to commit to going volume later on. You can't just say, "Oh, I'll get like." two or three reserve running backs. No, you have to have like almost your entire bench as running backs. I feel like to try to hit, make this work out. Right. At least that's the way I try to do it. When I did the Vegas league, that's what I did. Yep. You know, ironically, I went with Taylor this year at nine. We'll see. And then I, I went like, I went six rounds without taking a running back. And then I took six running backs. So, you know, it, it's, it's an extreme strategy. Right. Well, we, and, you know, we talk about kind of, it's you know, necessary that you're going to have to find value at some point on the waiver wire, oftentimes even, you know, before week one, but if you're, if you're in a deep draft, you know, if you're going 16 rounds, it's like a lot of the guys that you think in theory, it's like, Oh, maybe I'll, I'll just grab, you know, player X off the, the scrap heap later on. It's like those guys even are gone in these drafts, you know? So you're, you're totally right. Like you, you need to make a point, whether it's in kind of the, the late middle rounds or the, the true late rounds of drafts to at least give yourself some options, you know, draft four running backs in a row and even if on paper, you're just like, ah, I don't really feel good about any of these guys. Like chances are between now and week one, you, there's going to be some positive news on, on one of those. Yep. That's right. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be uh, one that, yeah. And, and that's why I kind of like going with that early in draft season, because you can get those targets at a, you can get guys in the seventh, eighth, ninth round that become fourth round players in, in late, in late, late August, early September. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right about that. Um, you know, it, I think it's it's important to note like there, there's only so much of a ceiling typically with the with the true late round guys. You know, it's like you're you're probably not going to draft somebody in round 14 who ends up being like a top five running back. Like that almost almost never happens. But you know, you you could still find that kind of value 
in in the upper middle rounds, right? I mean, Josh Jacobs last year. I don't know what what his ADP was, but uh, you know, finished as the number one running back in in standard leagues, right? So um, I, I think you have to be realistic about where that upside is coming from, and realistic about what you're expecting to get when you are loading up on running backs in rounds 12 through 16. Like you're just, you're just trying to get like a passable starter to, to pair with that elite running back. Right. I think, you know, if you're, if you're fooling yourself into thinking you can get, um, you know, land somebody who's going to be like a, a bell cow back for you the entire year, that's not really the case. You know, the, the reason that you're drafting those four guys is you're, you're playing the matchups you're, you're playing the hot hand throughout the season. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, and, and it's, it's always tricky, you know, by the way, Jacobs, uh, you know, he, he was so difficult because of all the chatter about him not getting the contract. He might get cut. Zamir White season, everybody. Uh, I I was aggressively wrong on Jacobs. My biggest whiff by a long shot last year and one of my biggest in the last few years. I, I just yeah. not only did I not have him anywhere, I told people not to have him. Yeah, I aggressively avoided Josh Jacobs. And uh, I, I can assure you that we were not alone. I mean, it was yeah. it was the smokescreen of all smokescreens, I guess, by the Raiders. Yeah, it was. Um, and it, it is something to think about when you're starting to look at the running back pool and saying, okay, well, they're their main guy, but they're not going to, they're not signing him up. Well, don't, that might not be so bad because it might mean they give him a massive workload this year. Right. Uh, we have to separate the contract sometimes from player evaluation from role. Uh, and maybe that way you can find a guy that gets a heavy workload. Yeah. Well, I think you also have to separate, you know, maybe how you view the team versus how you view the situation. Uh, because it's, you know, I, I think there was, there was definitely more optimism on the Raiders coming into last season than there is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was like objectively not a good offense and Josh Jacobs was still really productive. Right. So like, I, I think that, you know, some of these teams you look at and you're like, man, I just, I don't, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be very good. It's like, well, you know, James Conner could still have a huge year just because, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to get their way out of some of these games, much in the way that, that the Raiders were last season. So that it's not like a, it's not always a one-to-one uh, correlation as far as like, Oh, this running back is in an offense that I thought was, you know, was going to be bad, and they turned out to be good. It's like the Raiders' offense was still bad, but um, you know, Josh Jacobs just kind of found his way into, into some opportunity within that. Exactly. Um, so, hero running back is kind of a modification off of zero running back. Uh, hero is, I mean, it's zero running back was first codified, if you will, first written about and employed by uh, Sean Siegel in 2013 did very well in the NFFC with this uh, format here. Uh, I think there's probably other people that had drafted into such a format before that there, but they may not have had a title for it. It's kind of like in baseball, Ron Chandler coming up uh, with the, the Lima plan. Other people might've had other allocations, budget allocations for here, but Sean Siegel's the one that came up with zero running back and called it as such. Um, it's, it's a risky strategy inherently. And yet it's, one that actually is kind of couched as way to take away risk, strip away the risk that's inherent at the position of running back. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's, it's kind of a, a catch twenty two in that it, it's risky, but you are the goal of this is to avoid risk, right? Yeah. It's it's to avoid the uh, you know I take Christian McCaffrey at two overall and he gets hurt week three and doesn't play again, uh, which you know it, it felt like we were on kind of a run and even last season you could say it with JT, um, you know every year one of those guys ends up going down. It's just kind of the nature of how football works. So you're, you're saying, I, I just want to make sure I'm not that team. You know, I want to, I want to make sure that I have a fighting chance that my entire season is not pinned to the shoulders of one player that I took with the second overall pick. And, you know, by definition, typically if you're going zero RB, you're not taking a running back probably in the first four rounds, sometimes even the top, the the first five rounds or even Um, six or seven, even. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, you could, you could take it as late as you want, honestly, if you're going, I mean, it's called zero RB for a reason, but 
you know, the idea is that you're, you know, you're loading up at receiver. You, you're, 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 your goal, if you're going zero RB, is you have the best receiver room in your draft. Um, you know, you're, you're, maybe you're taking one of the top quarterbacks to pair with a receiver. Maybe you're taking one of the top tight ends. You could start Travis Kelsey, uh, of course, going this format. Um, I, I, I don't really mind it. I, I, I have not gone into a ton of drafts saying I'm not going to take a running back, but uh, especially in best balls where it's, it's lower stakes, you got some room to play with it. It's a fun strategy to, to kind of mess around with. Yeah, uh, it is. And the idea is, yeah, you are going to, if you take, you're going to take four receivers and a tight end typically before you take a running back or maybe three receivers and a tight end or just four receivers. Point is your, your flex is going to be almost certainly a wide receiver every week. You know, obviously yep. by weeks, not included as far as that goes. Uh, your, you know, other positions are going to be filled too. I mean, you're going to get an elite quarterback and Hey, getting an elite quarterback last year, getting one of those top six guys was a massive advantage over the field. Yep. Uh, it, it was one of those things that if you had that and you, instead of starting Kirk cousins or Aaron Rodgers every week, you started someone that, you know, was a big difference maker. It made a difference, but then again, you could have had Lamar Jackson and he got hurt. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's a trade-off with everything. Um, I, I like doing it. I like doing it, especially in best balls. Actually. Yes. I think that's where I like doing it the most. Uh, but that also necessarily, but, the funny thing is I say, I like it better, but it actually doesn't work better in best balls. It works better in managed leagues where you can pick up free agents, uh, where you can mm -hmm. go get other running backs as they break. Now, the problem is the conceit is that, Oh yeah, well you can, when it, you can just pick up free agent running backs to kind of find where well, things emerge. Well, guess what? Everybody's still trying to pick up rookie free running back free agents, you know, good yeah. luck, you know, with that saying that you have the, the gift of prophecy and see which ones are right. going to emerge better. I mean, maybe that's something you're better at and that's great. But I, if you're going to run zero running back, first of all, you got to identify the next Tony Pollard. Then, you know, yes. you, you get players like that, guys that are going to don't have the role right away, but are emerging. Mm -hmm. Maybe rookies, second year players, and they have to be on teams and offenses good enough for it to matter too. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, you, you mentioned I think there's a a big big difference between saying, oh, I'll just I'll just pick up whoever the top running back is every week, and actually winning that bid. You know, mm -hmm. whether you're in a league that that goes descending by by standings or if you're in a fab league, like it's, it's easier said than done. Like, like yeah. you said, you're not going to be the only team who's in need of a running back. So you're not just going to have like free reign to, to grab whatever running back you want any week. And uh, you know, the, the best ball versus uh, you know, just kind of standard redraft league uh, strategy here is, is interesting too, because if you like, I'm, I'm looking at the NFFC ADP right now, and it's, it's realistic that if you wanted to go, you could start five receivers. You could get Stefan Diggs, Garrett Wilson, DK Metcalf, Drake London, Christian Watson. Like that is that is a build that is available to you, or you could go Travis Kelsey, Jalen Waddle, Debo Samuel, Jerry Judy, Chris Godwin. You know, four receivers at a tight end. Uh, if you're in best ball, you know, obviously the computer is picking the best of those each week. If you if you have if you start five receivers with your first five picks, you know, you, you're starting probably two or three of them plus a flex. Uh, but you, you still have to kind of make that call every single week. Which, if you're a good manager and you, you know your stuff, that's that could be the fun of fantasy football. I, I like having to make those decisions, but. Um, you know, other times it can be frustrating if you almost, you almost have too many good options at one position. Um, right. and I, I think that's where, that's where the best ball, or that's why I think this could be more popular in best balls. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, it's kind of fun. You don't have to live with the consequences of your decision as much. I mean, yes, you, you paid your money, you get your, your rewards and lack thereof, but you're not agonizing over the decisions. I mean, that, there's something to be said for that. And that, that actually is, is a nice part there. And especially 
I mean, you might end up drafting more running backs than your opponents if you go zero RB. That's one of the funny things, uh, the, yeah. the paradoxes is because you like you have to go volume on your bench. You have mm-hmm. to kind of find the, these options there. Find pass catching backs. That That's a good route to do it there. Now, that's also mm-hmm. easy, easier said than done because guess what? It's a passing league now, so we're all attuned to knowing who are the better pass yeah. catchers, who can pass pro, uh, the, these sort of things. Let's talk about the crop of running backs that would typically be available if you're doing the strategy. So we'll, we'll, we'll take out the first five rounds in terms of NFFC ADP. Uh, so that the group of running backs that you're likely selecting your first back from would be, you know, ranging from like Cam Akers, Madison, Swift, uh, Damian Pierce, Rashad White, Javante Williams, James Conner, Isaiah Pacheco, David Montgomery, James Cook. Is, is there enough upside in that group to make it worth it? Yeah, of course. I think there I is. I think so. I think so too. We're not talking about scrappy. We're talking about for the most part, you know, number one backs and at worst, you know, number two backs and good offenses. Yeah. Um, I mean, James cook could, do you have to squint to see top 10 upside for cook? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, I I think you can, and I think you can see that and you can even go a little bit deeper too. Like Kenneth Walker gets hurt. Zach Charbonnet is a top 10 back, right? Um, borderline. Yeah. In the conversation on that, in that conversation, uh, what if a chain uh, gets, uh, you know, gets the starting job in Miami and they decide, okay, let's just roll with him. He's that good. Okay. Now all of a sudden you got yourself a stew. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean that it's, it's important. You know, you don't, I wouldn't say it's vital that you like absolutely have to like pick some league winner in that range. I think, you know, inherent in the strategy is kind of accepting that maybe you're, you're passing on most of the guys who will likely finish in the top five to 10. But uh, you know, the goal I, I think is to, to go for some upside there. Right. I think at least one of those first two, you know, you're assuming maybe you're going running back, running back in round six or seven or seven and eight. Um, like I, I personally wouldn't go like Rashad White and Damian Pierce there. Like to me, those are those are higher floor players, I guess. You know, maybe if you're saying your, your ceiling is all going to come from the receivers and, and an early tight end, I guess you could talk me into that. But I would want one of those guys uh, to, to feel like a, a James Cook uh, type of pick. And you, you have to acknowledge that there is some some bust potential there. Maybe he's not ready. Uh, you know, I had fumble issues early on last year. Like, you know, any guy that you're drafting in the seventh or eighth round, there are going to be red flags. But I, I, I like the idea of kind of taking a swing on, on one of those first two running back picks and, and trying to find somebody that could finish as the, the seventh best running back in PPR. Yeah, I like it. I like it there. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's that's fun. I think and you're going for youth almost exclusively, too, with these guys. That, I think that's the other thing. You're really trying to find that the young, young upsidey guys uh, and try to that are going to step into a role. Yeah, I think that the Tony Pollard comp uh, that you made earlier, I think, is, is spot on. You're, you're basically looking for for somebody who nobody's really thinking about in that context. But then four weeks into the season, we say, wow, we, we really overlooked this guy. So who is this year's Tony Pollard? man. Well, I, I think cook is a good one. Um, you know, my love for Pacheco. I, I just don't, I don't know that the upside is quite there uh, with the, the lack of proven pass catching from Pacheco and, and maybe more concerningly the, the proven pass catchers behind him in that mm-hmm. offense. Like I just don't, there's not really, there's not really a reason for KC to like make a point to, to get Pacheco more involved in the passing game. When you have someone like Jarek McKinnon, who's really high level in that area of the game. Um, yeah. I mean, looking at the list, I mean, it, it's a lot of, a lot of backs going in round six through 10, are you know guys who are like kind of near the end of their rookie deal or they're on their second team uh, you know i'm talking about someone like aj Dillon. it's like I, I don't really see him you know all of a sudden just reversing the trends that were really concerning these last couple of years like i, I almost feel like you have to go a little bit deeper where you're starting to take some some big big swings and um i don't know I mean, it's like I, I still like tyler algier 
quite a bit. He's going at like pick 130, but obviously you, you need a, a B. John Robinson injury uh, for, for him to, to hit in that way. And it's, you know, it's not really something you, you want or can really forecast. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, that, and that's the thing. Like, I, I also think, you know, as we, the more information is out there, our league mates have gotten savvier. Uh, it's yeah. harder to identify <laughs> these guys um, ahead of everybody else. And I think that that's one of the other tricky parts about pulling off this plan. Um, any other thoughts about zero hero robust, anything else you wanted to share? I think we've covered it really well, man. Uh, like I said, I'll have a, a running back focus video coming out on the RotoWire YouTube channel this week. Uh, that'll touch on some, some underdog. Uh, we're doing some cross promotion with them. So, nice. uh, you know, make sure you're, you're playing underdog. You heard the read here. Uh, you, you hear them all over the place. Uh, it's a really, really fun platform. Uh, and in my opinion, you know, low enough stakes, you, know, you could do a two, $3 draft. You know, you could, you could, do it. You know, it'll start within 30 minutes or you could do one that you have eight hours or eight hours per pick could play out over a couple of days. It's I've almost started using it more as like a mock draft tool. You know, they're, they're real drafts. There's real money at stake. Uh, so that that adds a, a fun element to it. But if you're serious about fantasy football, you got big time leagues coming up over the next few months. Highly, highly encourage you to get involved over at Underdog. It's, it's a lot of fun to just do passively. Yeah, it is. It, it really is. Um, had one other non uh Running back question uh, in the in the chat, so I'm gonna go ahead and hit it right up right now. Griffin has a dynasty league. Uh, got offered DK Metcalf, Traylon Burks, a 2025 third from a basement dweller for AJ Brown, Cortland Sutton. What say you? So it was Metcalf, and who was the other player? Metcalf and Burks, and a third okay. for AJ Brown and Cortland Sutton. So you're giving up the best receiver, Sutton. Yes. I mean, Brown in this deal, not Sutton. Uh, Brown. <laughs> like, I, I didn't yeah. know you were so high on Cortland Sutton. No, I know you are, but it's okay. Uh, not bad, yeah. Ew. Uh, but you're getting Metcalf and Burks, which are both probably better mm-hmm. than Sutton, and you're getting an extra draft pick, but it's a third rounder, so probably not worth that much. It's a fair deal, I think. I'll say that right away. I don't. I don't think. I don't think either side is is getting fleeced here. I I would rather hold on to AJ Brown. I, I just say I want the best player in the trade. Um, but you know, to me, it, 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 it all comes down to how you value trail on Burks. Like I'm, I'm still skeptical. I'm skeptical about the, the medium term future of that offense, right. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Ryan Tannehill or whether it's Will Levis, you know, obviously we'll probably know by the end of the season, we'll have a better read on, on what Will Levis looks like. But, uh, I, I think I would stick with the, the AJ Brown side of that. Yeah, I, I would too. Randy asks, Hey, I'm in a 12 team PPR redraft league. It was offered picks 36 and 37 in exchange for pick 17. So his picks would then be 8, 32, 36, 37, 41. Uh, I mean, uh, if you look at that there, let's kind of map out what that you basically you're giving up. If you're giving up pick 17, that's like what Saquon? Uh, That's like, that's like Devontae Adams through. You know, possibly Nick Chubb in some formats. It, it t- kind of depends. Yeah. We'll just say strictly according to uh, since July 1st, ADP, it's Garrett Wilson yeah. at 17. And you're getting Amari Cooper and Justin Herbert for that. I would I take the picks in the 30s. I'm OK with that. I, I think there's enough talent to go around. I think that gives you, as you alluded to with Herbert, who just kind of happens to be the ADP there. I, I think it gives you uh, kind of a, a really good chance to get one of those borderline elite quarterback. So you're not going to get Hurts or Allen or Mahomes, but you could get that second tier of elite quarterback uh, at a really reasonable price. Uh, you know, someone like Mark Andrews could be available there. You know, Debo Samuel, Keenan Allen, like you said, Amari Cooper, uh, you know, Brees Hall, if, if you feel good about him. I, I think there's enough talent in the mid to late thirties that I'd, I'd rather have those two picks. Yeah. My concern is you're only going to have one, either RB one or wide receiver one on yeah. your roster. It's I a mean, long time to wait. 
I mean, that's the trade-off there, and and you're you're just going to tackle with volume. Um, I think uh, the more competitive the league is, the more I'd prefer to have uh, to get the thirty-six and thirty-seven, um, because it, you're going to have a harder time filling in later. I think is the way I'd look yeah. at it there. Um, if you're in a uh, more casual league, I'd keep the pick. I'd keep the seventeen. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair because in a casual league, there might be somebody <laughs> available at 17 who normally would not be. And all of a sudden that turns into a huge value pick. Right. And yeah, and also for that matter, there's more likely going to be someone at 75 than there wouldn't be otherwise. So uh, you, yep. you don't you don't need the depth as much. So yep. thanks for the question, Randy. Appreciate it there. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, if you uh, Thanks for those who are joining us in the stream. And uh, appreciate all of our sponsors, Circa, uh, Fantrax, and Reality Sports Online. Uh, and the Blue Wire Network. Nick and I will be back at you again next Monday. We got uh, Jake and Joe tomorrow. Make sure to tune in for that. Thanks for listening to Rotowire.